there, I hope you're well and welcome to View from the Touchline, a podcast that aims to explore the thoughts, philosophies and beliefs of coaches working right across the beautiful game. My name is Conal Mernon and I am a football coach and I am passionate about coach development. I really enjoy listening to other coaches talk about their thoughts and experiences and I hope you learn as much from listening to these episodes as I did recording them. You can find me on Instagram at Coaching, where you can find these episodes in their video form and you can also use the account to send me any thoughts or feedback you may have. I'd love to hear from you. So without further ado, here is this week's episode of View from the Touchline. Hi folks, welcome to episode one of this little mini-series of interviews that I'm calling View from the Touchline. So as I said on my Instagram post the other day, the idea behind putting this series together was that with lockdown coming in and no football outside of elite level kind of um, cancelled for the foreseeable future. It's a hard time for everyone, but it's also a time for a bit of self-reflection, a bit of self-learning. And I know in previous lockdowns, things like podcasts, webinars have been really useful for me in terms of my learning as a coach and my development. So I just thought this would be a good way to share some uh, ideas and some advice from coaches working at different levels of the game. If you're watching this and you're not interested in coaching at all and you're purely just a football fan then I do hope you enjoy just the discussion about about football as well um, and by all means if you do have any feedback after watching this for me please do just drop it in a private message to the Instagram page so without further ado um, I will introduce my guests for this first episode so my first guest this week is Sam James Sam thank you very much for giving up your time today I really appreciate it so for those of you who didn't see the Instagram post yesterday Sam is currently working as a women's academy coach at Man United. He's a B license holder and he also holds the FA Youth Award. Um, prior to working for Man United, Sam was a women's head coach at Loughborough University, where I had the privilege of coaching alongside him in my first year. And Sam's also worked for the likes of Crystal Palace, Fulham and Notts County as well. So Sam, my first question for you today is, what does coaching and the role of a coach mean to you? Yeah, great question, Firstly, Hi, folks. Hope you're well. Um, thanks, mate, for having me on. Coaching, I think, is it means different things to different people. Is probably the first thing to say, and we'll probably we'll probably draw on that as we go through. The I think probably there's there's two main things for me that I think about with it is it's pursuing excellence. So it's pursuing excellence for your player, your individual at that point that you're working with, and the second one for me is around kind of maximising the learning that can happen within that environment. We'll, we'll touch on different environments again as we go through, but um, maximising learning as a player. So what are the technical, tactical, physical considerations for that player? Also, then what individual areas can you work on as well? So communication, managing your lifestyle. Um, kind of dealing with adversity, being resilient are all different things that I think you will develop when you maximise the learning of that person. Um, when I mention excellence, we'll talk about differentiation later, but excellence obviously looks like different things for different people. Um, and we have to accept that and not every player is one size fits all. Um, and like we know, don't we, Connor, we work with coaches or we're aware of coaches that I think see the game as one lens or they see the game as one thing. So being a coach is being technically and tactically really strong. And that is it. And I totally agree that is a really important component of it, but it's not the only component with, with football. And I think one of the things that sticks in my mind is it's all well and good having the technical and the tactical information. But if you can't communicate that to your player or you can't make your player realise or understand what you're saying, there is literally no point in having that information other than it's either stuck 
in your head or it's written down on a piece of paper it won't go anywhere so I think we have to be aware that coaching like transcends so many different areas and there's so many criteria that a coach should be competent within away from just kind of the technical and the tactical elements um, of being a coach really yeah I think that's massive that personal side that you've touched on there as well not just being technically and tactically competent but also being able to build relationships with your players as well and then that way your messages are almost easier to communicate across and just to ask you where do you think that passion for working with people came from because obviously people who go into coaching it almost starts with a a passion for football and wanting to get involved with that side of the game but where do you think your passion for working with people and developing those relationships I think it's something that probably builds over time when you can see it happening um and you always look back at the problem is with coaching, you always look back on things with like rose, rose tinted spectacles and you always think it was probably a lot better than it actually was. But hey, that's kind of what the only information we have. So if I think about, I played semi-pro until 18, then I went to uni, obviously, and we coached together. And um, that then was just football was what I love to do. I love playing. And then I did FA courses, um, FA programmes, youth sport trust programmes to, to kind of upskill me and give me exposure to that. And it was only really, I think, when when we worked together in my second year, your first year of uni, and we had an environment where we were on the grass a lot of the time. We were working with people on pitch, off pitch. We were in lectures with people as well, which is another dynamic, which is hard. Like if you're not, you've got to enjoy being around people or learning from people and working with them. Um, so it's just it's just something that I think really becomes integrated. And once, as I say, when I mentioned about looking about rotating the spectacles, once you have success or whatever you deem as success, you then start to really enjoy it. And I think that they're the best coaches, those that are natural in terms of how they are with people, how positive they are, how they can deal with conflict, etc. They're the best coaches. Um, and you talk about like different social dynamics as well. Like we both know if players can look through someone or some players can be really critical of coaches. And it's really important that you understand them. You take the time to understand them. They can see you how you want to be seen and you can see them how they want to be seen. And then at that point, I feel as though you can have maximum impact without that. I think you're going to fall short of, of whatever success looks like for you or whatever you want really. Yeah, that's a perfect answer really. Um, In terms of, so you say you played semi-pro until you were just before you went to uni was when we coached together at Loughborough, was that your first experience of working in the women's game or had you had experience with that prior? So prior to 18, um, I'd done grassroots level boys and grassroots level girls um, with a local club. I'd done open age men as well at that point. But when we worked together with Loughborough, that was my first exposure of women's football, probably more open age, kind of under 23s level women's football. Um, and also within a more... I guess, performance environment. Um, so yeah, I'd say it probably was. What, what would you have said were the, what was the biggest initial challenge, do you think, about not just working in the women's game, but working in university football? Because I know when I first started, it was very different to, you know, the grassroots and school environments I've been in prior. So yeah, what do you think was the biggest challenge that you faced early on? For me, it was probably a little bit around age. Did you feel the same? Yeah, because you almost feel like a boy, like a boy walking in, and you feel because it's so many, there's so many social dynamics going on. There's so much kind of interaction going on with different people, etc. I think probably an age thing was a big one. That was a big challenge, and almost having the confidence to to coach um, 
and put on the hat that you need to put on was really, really hard. I think there's a point also around like coaching under pressure. So I don't think I don't think some coaches realise it, but I think there are times in seasons, there are times over years where coaches have to coach under pressure. And that pressure might present itself as maybe in the university environment, some of the older players don't think you're a very good coach. So you've kind of got to put real graft into your sessions to pr- to prove whatever that means, prove to the players that you are a good coach. It yeah. might be performances aren't going right. So you feel as though you've got to get your sessions bang on so that then the performances can kind of fall out of that. And maybe also some players don't feel as though they're, de- they're developing with um, kind of working with you, which I think kind of hits you a little bit personal. But um, that's kind of dealing with that pressure is really hard um, and recognising that you're going to have to put more time, well, not more time, you're just going to have to be really thorough in terms of your delivery. You're going to have to plan for all eventualities. Um, but I think they're the best like opportunities to learn. I feel as though we learned so much in the year that we were, I mean, we had a, I mean, you came in as goalkeeper coach and then <laughs> transferred over. But yeah. I feel as though we learned so much, didn't we, in that year? Yeah, it was definitely probably uh, one of the biggest learning curves I've had um, in terms of having come from like a grassroots environment working in you know coaching school teams and things like that to be put into that environment I think when you touch on coaching under pressure I think that was a massive thing I think even the pressure to prepare the team for a match day with limited time and with obviously working in a uni environment you've got you know you you don't know what your number is going to be every session because people have lectures people have part-time jobs people have people play for different clubs outside of the uni as well so I think that almost trying to get your principles and ideas across whilst having to battle that, you know, almost imposter syndrome of, oh, am I too young for this? Are these people actually going to listen to me? I think that was definitely a big challenge. Um, If we fast forward then to your final year, obviously you ended up being uh, first team head coach at Loughborough for the women's um, club. So not only were you, you know, coaching head coach of the first team, but you also sort of head coach for the whole club. So you were overseeing uh, the first team, but also overseeing the other three uh, box teams and then the Sunday team as well in terms of looking after their coaches. So what was the, how did you feel when you first started that role in terms of you went from just being a, a coach of a team to having been maybe the head coach of a whole club? Yeah, I think initially I probably walked in and thought, no, this is going to be quite straightforward. Like it's just one team, you just times it over three and it's it's job done. Um but then I think you soon realise that there's so many, um, you've got to be so thorough in what you do to ensure that you are successful. And I think the biggest thing that I've, I've found probably since we worked together and kind of the years, the three or four years that have fallen off the back of that is you drive your own standards and you almost find yourself being the one that is telling you that you've got, it's got to be better. And it's all, and I think that's the thing, you never want to settle. So you never want it just to be, whatever it is you always want it to be better and better and better and I think that's the thing that can sometimes either tip you and you have to accept in times of loss or times where it is hard you either accept okay that's fine for now we can then move back on or we'll we'll go about a different angle and come back in rather than trying to just force 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 all the time so it is a slow burner it's never going to be a quick fix um but I absolutely loved it like the opportunity to and this is we'll talk about environments won't we but to work at Loughborough in the university environment with the performance services that are there, you're on the grass kind of four or five times a week. You've got the opportunity to have thorough IDPs with players, um, get your games recorded. Like it's just, it's a fantastic opportunity. And I think um, it, it might have um, 
it was hard to balance with uni let's put it that way yeah. and the grades <laughs> maybe reflected that yeah um, but just that opportunity was was fantastic but definitely at the start nervous unsure you convince you're trying to convince or get kind of 60 70 players on board um with what how you want to run things so a definite challenge but over time with the right attitude and the right kind of messages at the right time you kind of get there yeah i think we both kind of graduated with that feeling of it was really worth it even yeah. if the maybe the academic side of things did take a backseat at times whether it was intentional or not yeah. um but even i found writing my dissertation in final year i wrote it about coach behaviors and haven't actually coached in that environment and worked in that environment it was more it was more engaging to write and it was also easier to write i think as well so it was definitely a, a valuable experience if we move on then to to your role now so obviously you're an academy coach at man united women um, which is a great position for you to be in before we talk more in depth about that what were your initial what were the initial differences and also similarities that jumped out to you between working in university football um to then going into working academy football i think every year as i've gone through I'm sure you're probably the same, mate. You look back on what you did the previous year and you kind of wonder why you did it or yeah. some things make you cringe, don't they? Like I remember some yeah. of the things I used to say or do made me cringe. And I've probably had that quite a lot since going into United. So looking back on what I've previously done um, in uni environments more so or, the, or open age environments, I now reflect on that and cringe. And I think that's the difference between the true development football and what that entails and what kind of open age performance or emerging performance football brings you. So I'll give you an example. For me, in terms of my role as a coach with the, with the girls at United at the moment, my biggest thing is around kind of maximising opportunity to learn. So I, well, if we go kind of dig into technical bits, in a game environment, if a ball is rolling out of play, for example, we've seen it, the ball comes over the top, the centre-half runs off, they'll let the ball roll out of play. My well, that's one of my biggest pet peeves at the moment. It's around that opportunity there. I want the player to put their foot on the ball, to play, to play out of pressure. Yes, we might sacrifice a goal. We might sacrifice um, success, if that's what you call it. But for me, that opportunity to learn is so much more valuable um, than any kind of result or win or three points. So that's probably a, re a really big thing for me. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll look at session design, I'm sure. But just around when you've got the guys in your sessions, how are you getting the best out of them? So if you're running some kind of practice, is there repetition in there? So are your players doing the same movements at the same time to develop the same principles? If they're not, how can you manufacture that? And it might be a case of you doing like a, a possession practice, for example, with a goalkeeper. As players playing, you have someone firing footballs into your goalkeeper, so they're getting repetitions. And all the time you're kind of maximising that opportunity to learn, which yeah. is something that either I don't feel was applicable or we didn't do in a university environment, but now is really, really important. Yeah. Um, and I guess a question for you, mate, with, with United, we obviously have blueprints of players and structures that we, of what our first team player looks like, which is really, really important. That's yeah. something I don't feel as though we particularly had when we, when we were in the university environment. I'm, I don't know if you agree or, or disagree with yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think sometimes in uni football, there's a blurred line between are we training these players to purely get results for the team they're playing in or are we training them to try and push up um, to the first team? It's difficult because particularly at Loughborough, both the women's and men's programme, the first team have such a big panel and so much of their recruitment comes from 
freshers um, and yeah. they get they get freshers in and it is difficult to progress up the club and we had uh, in the women's program I think we had quite a few players who did you know push on up to the first team um, mm-hmm. from that group we had in 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 my first year but I think you know, with the limited time we have at uni and almost the, the pressure you feel to get results because the uni place so much emphasis on being the best football team in the country and mm. having the most bucks points, it can be difficult to to almost look away from that uh, short-term view of where we have to prepare to win next week, we have to prepare to win next week rather than thinking of what does this player need? Okay, this player's come in in first year. What does he or she need over the course of the next two years to be playing in the first team in final year? Yeah, um, so yeah, it is it is it is a difficult one. I think uh, you touched on session design there. I think um, for, for me, whenever I was a coach, especially last year with the men's program, you know, we felt that we could really develop individuals through our sessions, and we tried to do that. But the main focus had to be on preparing the team for the for the game mm-hmm. coming up on the Wednesday because um, almost from a selfish point of view you think you're a coach in final year you want to win something like you you know from a selfish point of view you're not yeah. worried about progressing that fresher through to get to the first team by the time they're in final year so it was all about that match preparation where as I'm sure you know I'll ask you this now but your session design I'm sure has has changed going to United because at Loughborough it was probably just mainly tactical mainly game prep whilst trying to develop individuals within that, whereas now you've got that sort of long-term development view within your session plan. Absolutely. And it's a really interesting one because when you look back at what we deem success in terms of winning things, once you leave that environment, I think you view it very, very differently. Yeah, yeah. That makes me feel like I was a fool for, for thinking whatever. <laughs> in the moment, you think that. And I think yeah. there's probably loads of coaches that like in the environment they're in at the moment, if it is a very much performance-based environment, they think that winning this, winning this is is the most important thing to actually stepping away from that or finding some kind of perspective away from that is really important. Um, yeah. I think if you're not doing that, then you you are, there is potential that you can compromise um, development. But yeah, it's, it's a really good point. In terms of um, kind of how we would then do it in this environment, it's kind of using cycles. So six-week blocks that you then tailor down into potentially one or two-week blocks within that um, around different components that then fit into a wider kind of development program um, and the biggest thing that I always say about like for me as a coach I don't I'll kind of say I don't care about the result other coaches might kind of phrase it differently but for me I really don't care about the result and my thinking around that is if that player goes on to sign pro at 18 when they look back at when they were in the under nines for example are they going to remember if they won a game against whatever football club the reality is no but what they might remember is that lesson that they learned, that opportunity that they had to play at a certain at kind of certain part of the pitch or a certain situation they found themselves in? That that kind of learning experience will carry through with them to their eighteen. That memory of winning that game won't carry through with them until they're eighteen. So it's that yeah. that's kind of how I always always try and pursue it. Um, so yeah, going back to kind of cycles. So it sits as part of a bigger blueprint with a first team player. What does that look like? How do you then manage that? And everything that we do is kind of underpinned by IDPs. And I think that's a really, really important thing to mention and something that reflecting on university, we we probably didn't do as much. So every player has an IDP, um, kind of technical, tactical, physical. And this is obviously, in my experience, across all, all different football clubs. The biggest thing for me, I think, with the IDP is that if you're doing a practice, 
you kind of have your theme of the practice and obviously your coaching points that you want to go with that. But it's really important that as a coach, you can read cues or read triggers that make you think differently about your coaching points. Yeah. I think we always know coaches that get really excited. I've been guilty of it. You get really excited for delivering like a coaching point because you know it looks really cool or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's mad. I've never thought of that before. The reality is they have. It's just in a different, just phrased differently. So actually being able to deliver a session on a theme and recognising where your players are genuinely at in that session and then taking it whatever kind of course of action it needs to go off the back of that. Because um, I think, again, you're going to miss lessons if you don't do that. Yeah. And um, just to go back to that point you mentioned about uh, how you're a coach that in your current role, you don't care about results. And in terms of academy football, you're definitely not alone in that in in feeling that way and i would be inclined to agree with you as well but there has been an argument made um, and twitter twitter is a wonderful place for sharing football opinions but it can also be an absolute uh complete disaster at times as well but there there's questions thrown up from time to time about you know how do we almost coach or help our players understand what it takes to win and how to deal with loss as well yeah. so i think the point you made about you don't care about the result because you want that player to remember the lesson. I think that's like a really, really, really strong, strong idea. How do you then also help? Because these players are hopefully going to end up playing for my United women's first team and the, yeah. you know, the, the pressure on them to succeed at that level will be, will be high. How do you prepare them for learning how to win and then also how to deal with loss and react to loss? I think it's something you can put into your session design. So can you make your sessions really competitive? can you promote players that um, are going to give 110% in sessions? Because then I feel as that's a bit more of a safe environment for loss. So if it does happen, you can then manage that a lot easier. You can yeah. obviously kind of have the interventions that you need to have to ensure that that can happen. So kind of get your sessions really competitive if you need to. Um, I think no matter how much I don't care about the result, the players ultimately will still care about the results. Yeah. So you need to have a consideration for that and use that to your advantage but I think the messages coming from the coach shouldn't be in my opinion we need to do this to win the game of football or or kind of I guess you could say that as long as you're not deferring away from your principles I think as soon as you compromise your principles for a win that then gets dangerous um, but I think you can certainly harness it and use it and again it's being aware of the kind of social dynamics you you've got parents as well to think about and if they lose a game are they going to go in the car and the parents say why'd you lose the game they're not going to turn around to their mum and dad and go yeah I lost the game but I learned this but then that's and that's more important to me because of the the pressure and everything that comes with that level of football so I think it's definitely there be aware of it use it mirror it in your sessions as much as you can and then sometimes you just got to kind of let things happen and and react to those spot on um if we can touch on for a bit now about sort of creating environments i know you've talked about you want to within your sessions you like to create an environment where you can completely optimize learning and create potential for learning in terms of an actual creating a team environment obviously we work together at loughborough and the the thing i really enjoyed about uni football both men's and women's game was sort of the the team environment you could create because all the players tend to be pretty close on and off the pitch. Okay, you have your little social groups within that, but um, they tend to be quite close off the pitch. People attend lectures together, people go out together, people sometimes even live together as well. So it kind of, it makes that team environment quite, not easy to make, but it is, it, it, it's a lot stronger, I feel, than sometimes grassroots environments. Yeah. In your role at United, obviously you've got 
girls, I imagine, coming from clubs all over the greater Manchester area and yeah. maybe don't, there's probably social groups within that, but they don't go to the same schools, they don't play, for, they haven't come from the same clubs. How do you try and, and obviously the relationship is different because you're so much older than them, whereas at uni, you know, you have to be their, their mate as well almost um, yeah. to make that dynamic work. How do you, in that in the role at United now, try and create those uh, positive environments? I think it's really important that you have values that are agreed. So at the start of the season, sit down with the players and unpick some of the values that you that you believe. For us, they come from first team, which is fantastic. So the first team have sat down and given us uh, three different areas that they see as really important as values. And then what we do is we take those and then we tailor those to our age group. So we sit with the girls and we say, what does this mean to you? Um, they can then give us kind of insight in terms of what they see that looking like in training, in games, away from training, etc. So we use that really heavily. And we use that to a point of, if there's someone in a session that isn't doing something, we always find a way to relate it back to the values because that's the consistent theme. I think as soon as you start kind of adding in your own input in terms of what you think is important, that then becomes confusing. So keep it simple, keep them quite generic so you can then kind of always go back to them. I think the, an MDT is something that is really important within that as well. So recognising that as a coach, you have a, a set remit. The sport of science has their set remit, physical performance sports science. Physio has their own remit, kind of analysis has their own remit as well and recognising that. So I think with that clarity, the players then know what can be expected so they're more likely to react better to, to certain situations. Um, and then I think it just links, one of the points I think for me in terms of that age group is being connected to those players. And it is really hard and some coaches do it better than others, but I think ultimately it comes again, back down to how you're communicating with the player. Are you listening to them? Are you understanding them? Talking about things, maybe not football related to yeah. get a little bit of buy-in so they kind of know you're on the same level as them. Um, and then just kind of build that as you go through. But I think consistent values um, are really, really important. I mean, as your role as a sports science, how did you find, because obviously you, I guess you were bouncing between age groups. So how did you find kind of contributing to the environment? Yeah, way. so um, obviously I did my placement at Southampton in a S&C in sports science role. As you say, I worked right across the the nines to sixteens, and I really enjoyed having lots of age groups to work with because it allowed you to to, to build relationships with um, different types of kids as well as you know different types of players. So, for example, the way I would try and build a relationship with an under nine would be very different to the way I try and build a relationship with an under 15 player. You said it's about trying to talk about things not to do with football, trying to understand what are the big things in their lives that they enjoy, that they, you know, that excites them and stuff like that as well. Um, be genuine yeah. with it as well. Like, yeah. don't just say it for the sake of saying it or be like, oh, how are you? How was your day? Like, and be really, just be genuine, like, have a yeah. chat like you would with anybody, I think. Yeah, that's my. I think, and I think whenever, whenever you have those conversations with a player, whether it be in an academy, whether it be a uni, whenever whatever environment you're in, if they see that you're genuine, it makes your message easier to get across. It makes dealing with them in sessions, and then it also makes difficult conversations easier because they know that you know they know that you've got they you've got their best intentions at heart, yeah. and that you know, you're not being a dickhead for want of a better word, you know, that's, yeah. they, they know you're genuine and, and that definitely helps with that. Um, in terms that, of, sorry, mate, I think that ties into IDPs really well as well, because yeah. 
the voice of a coach can't always be positive. The voice of a sports science can't always be positive. You're doing this really well. You're doing this really well. So the importance of having an RDP in place and a mechanism to, to give them feedback initially is really, really important. So when they finish a session, give them constructive feedback on what they could have done better, what they could have done better. That then manages your boundaries and ensures that the players know the, the relationship they have with you. But also it's not always positive because that is, again, that isn't genuine of the environment that you're going to be yeah. in. These people want to make it professional. They're not going to make it professional by just being polite and nice. Well, polite, yeah. yes, nice all the time. Um, so that's just not kind of the best thing for them, really. I think one of the big things I learned at Southampton as well, I don't know if you picked up on this, but maybe naively before I went into that sort of environment, I thought like of the under 12 years group, for example, I thought, right, these kids are going to be really good at football. They're going to turn up. They're always going to want to learn. They're going to be so enthusiastic about it. They're going to be the most ideal kids to work with. When in reality, they're just completely normal 11, 12-year-olds, they do the exact same things as other 11, 12-year-olds. They just happen to be talented at football. And I think that was a real, you know, that was difficult um, because at the end of the day, from a purely footballing point of view, the pure football goal of an academy is to try and produce players for the first team. And you always have that in the back of your mind. And it's difficult whenever you're working with 10, 11, 12-year-olds and the thought of being in the first team is so far away. But you almost have to have that in the back of your mind and, that's when the conversations around maybe standards or like from a sports science point of view, if you know they're not hitting the 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 physical metrics that they need to be hitting to be as they progress up the age groups to then have a chance to play in the first team, it's it's about building that into your relationship with them and then being able to to guide them along that process as well. Yeah, and that's what excellence looks like for that player. Like everyone's different version of excellence is different, and as a coach, you've got to be really um critical in terms of what's what are the important areas we need to work on because time is limited as you say kids are kids and one of the things you always say coaches go oh if i was 12 years of age at this football club i would yeah. be acting very different it's like yeah but you're like 27 so you're going to think differently yeah. so you've got to be realistic about what where you can maximize the opportunity and you're exactly right as long as you can get those little bits that you need those little wins and build that relationship you're onto a winner but if you bombard them with and you just get better at this technically tactically physically da 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 you lose them and it's not yeah. going to be. I remember reading a, a read, I'm currently reading a book that's, um, you might have read it. It's by Michael Calvin. It's called No Hunger in Paradise. And it's basically, what? it's just about the sort of the, the hidden side of academy football and kind of like what, what players go through and what staff go through. And there's a really interesting bit in it from Nick Levitt, who is director of coaching at UK Coaching at the minute, but he used to be um, an academy coach at Fulham, I think. But he's he talks about how he planned a, a perfect session one day he was so excited to deliver it and for the entire hour and a half or whatever it was of the session the kids were just all over the place like engagement wasn't there kids were like upset and crying and it was almost it was only after the session that he found out that right before the session started one of the kids had told one of the other kids a certain piece of news about father christmas that just destroyed that kid so (laughs) it's things like that that coaching courses and coaching manuals don't don't tell you about and Absolutely. it's something you've got to be so so aware of yeah 100 percent agree um if we just move on a bit we've touched on uh differentiation slightly um obviously in a uni environment you've got um you know we work with the, the second team whenever we work together and you've got players in that environment who are pushing to the first team you've also got players who are kind of in the middle and you've got players who are at the bottom but still better than 
playing in, in the in the team below if that makes sense. Mm. In terms of United, I guess it's similar thing, real mixed ability. Um, you'll obviously have kids who are what we call you know striving and thriving. You've got kids who are barely even uh, they're struggling to keep up. Really, um, how do you manage that within your sessions? How do you tailor your sessions to to provide that learning opportunity for everyone? I think it's a really good point in terms of striving, struggling, etc. And we hear that phrase used. I think the thing for me in terms of reflecting on where a player's at is they might be striving in one area, but they might be struggling in another area. And the likelihood is with the academy level, the likelihood is they're all going to be good players. Like you don't generally, and I appreciate this will be hard for kind of more grassroots coaches where there might be a bigger separation between the top and the bottom yeah. of the session. But So for me, it's about always recognising that because we might be working on a certain theme and I might have a, a thought in my mind about a player not being good enough but actually if I break it down actually they're really strong in this area it's just because of we worked on other areas that they've potentially shown more weakness so the way that I would kind of do differentiation is about being deliberate with your practice so this is probably something that I learned a couple of years ago around being deliberate with where you put your players in your practice and so can you hide that differentiation basically yeah. um, and, and get really really specific with it so if you're working with a with a striker that's really poor in a, in a 1v1 situation, for example. You might then put a progression on a practice where you, you ensure that that striker is either married at 1v1 with a centre-half or they've got to drop into a space where they've then got to engage 1v1. That player then doesn't know that you think they're not very good 1v1. They're working on 1v1 principles and also tying in the principles that you want within your session as well. So you can really dig a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, and all that stems from just being deliberate with where you put your players. Um, and I love the idea of um, players working on so many different things within a session. It gets a bit complicated, but we work on so many different things within a session. They don't even know it. So, and because your sessions are repetitive and they're real, those skills will then come out in a game. And again, they don't even know it. And I think that's a subtlety of coaching that's really, really important and something that I've learned quite recently. Um, so that's probably one way that we would kind of differentiate between that as well. Um, and I think sometimes it is, it is important, like you just mentioned with the story about Nick there around, um, sometimes players will have off days. Players will have days that are a real, real struggle. And there is absolutely zero benefit in continuing to try and push that player or take that player beyond their breaking point when you can see that for that day it just isn't, isn't happening. Yeah. Differentiating your practice in that way to either, I guess, change the focus so that your sessions become a bit more fun-based and you take away that competitive element that might cause stress. Um, or that you kind of, again, you're deliberate in your placing that you might then put your strongest player against a weaker player to give that player the confidence boost. And you just, you're deliberate in terms of how you, um, how you marry your practice up. And I think reflecting on what we did it with the twos, I don't think we did that really, did we? We just kind of did. We did a lot of position specific, which I think yeah. a lot of cases do, but potentially not deliberate in the actual individual and what they need. And I guess that probably comes down to A, the experience we had at the time and the experience we've gone on to get. And also it comes back to that issue of time you have on the grass and the 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 pressure of wanting to prepare the team as much as you can for match day. But yeah, definitely something I've learned as well. I think that point you make about hiding differentiation is is crucial because like nine, ten, eleven year olds are, are, are smart. If you yeah. if you tell them that, oh, for example, if you're doing a, a simple rondo for example and you've got your your players here at the, at the top end in your group you can maybe limit them to the number of touches they can have whereas you can tell another player they can take as many touches as they want that player is going to be is, is going to realize what you're doing you know yeah. and some players can 
see it for what it is and say fair enough i need to develop but then young kids especially can see it as oh this coach doesn't rate me he doesn't think i'm as good as exactly. so definitely high hiding it is is a really good way of, of putting that in um, i think you can also hide within it from an mdt perspective something that i've really i've really liked is if you're working with a physical performance coach and you've for example you've got a player that either isn't kind of good enough at a certain area or it's a physical consideration of a topic so if you're doing pressing for example you know with that player or you tell me as a sports answer i've got this wrong you need to accelerate quite quickly then slow down don't you really yeah it's one of the main principles so how can you then integrate that in your session so that they get those elements within that and again if you've got a player that isn't particularly um strong in those areas how can you then tailor your practice to also include that so you differentiate yeah. with the player itself but then you also differentiate across the different mdt areas as well i think is really important because then you get a really holistic practice you're not just working technically or tactically you've then got physical considerations in there as well i yeah. think that's really clever yeah definitely um we're almost out of time sam but i'm going to finish with some quick fire questions and i completely nabbed this idea from the high performance podcast so i hope jake humphrey and damon hughes aren't watching <laughs> otherwise they're probably <laughs> suing me or something but um so yeah, the first question is what three values are at the heart of your coaching philosophy I think the first one is that connectedness that we've touched on. So understand your players, get to know your players. The second one is commitment for me. So commitment to your players, commit big one, commitment to yourself. So, and this is another thing around that if there's grassroots coaches listening that think it's all about winning the game. For me, if you're in that environment and you only see success as winning, you're not doing it for yourself. And that's a really important consideration. I think a lot of times as coaches, we put ourselves in a situation, it might be really hard, and it might take a lot of sacrifice and it'll take a lot of graft, but you know you're going to be better because of it. So that's got to be a driver as well. Commitment to yourself and, and to your players. And probably the, the third one will just be communication, I think, for me. Um, like we've mentioned, recognising how to speak to certain age groups, how to get certain points across. I think that's probably the third one. Great. Um, second question. What one thing do you want to learn, improve or improve on in 2021 from a coaching point of view? I think for me, probably sequencing is a big one so sequencing my interventions why i'm stepping in at a certain point how does that link into the next one how does that link into the bigger picture so rather than just going off impulse and what i think yeah have a have a sequence to it and then also allow that bit that i mentioned before that if you can see a session going a certain type of way go with that rather than um kind of just hammering out coaching points for the sake of hammering out coaching points brilliant and um, third question where do you want to be in five years time I think I still want to be obviously within the game at an elite level, I think is the only thing I would say on that. The biggest thing for me in five years time is I want to continue being as hungry as I am now. Yeah. Um, that's the, and I know I will be, but that's the biggest thing for me, not settling, not recognising you're at this club or whatever, or you're at this level, that means you're, you're good. I think um, you've got to keep evolving. The game keeps evolving, players keep evolving, different ways of doing things are always about. So keep hungry and kind of keep as aware as I can of, of everything that's going on. Great. And my last question then is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received from a from a coaching point of view, from a from a life point of view? The biggest one for me, because I'm a bit of a simple person, um, you don't know what you don't know. And I think that's so powerful for me. Like you could be having, and I think I could just try and like rationalise or put it into an example. You could be having a conversation with another coach about a certain principle of the game, yeah? But because you don't know what they know, you're not. You're never going to see it. 
So you've always just got to, in everything that you do, recognize that there are things that you don't know. And unless you're told them or you have that experience, you're never going to know it. And I just think that that one makes me feel real, really vulnerable, which is a really good feeling to have, I think, when you're delivering. Feel vulnerable that you don't know everything. Um, and just also makes you realize the importance of working with people and recognizing other people's strengths and where they have um, kind of areas of, of knowledge that I might not have. Perfect. Um, Sam, thank you very much for your time today. It's been really insightful. I know hopefully a lot of people will get a lot of uh, takeaways from that. Um, if you are watching this and you have enjoyed it or you've got some feedback, then please do send it to me and I can feed it forward to Sam as well. If you've got any questions for Sam as well, so by all means send them to me and I can pass them on to him. I know he's the kind of guy who'd be very happy to to answer your questions. Um, and yeah, so this is the first episode and next week I'll have a different guest. So the guest will always be announced on the Tuesday and then every episode will be going out on Thursday morning. So yeah, please do send me feedback. Please do share it. Um, share it with people you think may be interested as well who may not have seen the account yet. And uh, yeah, thank you for all the support so far. And Sam, thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks, guys.